Luke chapter 1. Let's just read verse 67 and 68, and then we'll jump into it. And his his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Now we're going to finish Luke chapter 1 today, and in the finishing of it, we see the birth of John the baptizer. We see this promise that was made to his elderly parents, Elizabeth and Zechariah, there's this promise made that they're going to have a son in their old age. And if you remember that uh, when this promise was made to Zechariah as he's ministering in the temple, Zechariah's going, no way, how could this be? And the angel Gabriel says, oh, okay, you don't want to believe? You're not going to talk for the whole time until this, this comes to pass. And we see now it's coming to pass, that what God said is coming to pass. And there's something we need to understand that we really see happening in this section, but really we see it throughout all of Scripture. When God wants to work, he speaks. We see it time and time again. Right in the very beginning of Scripture, when God creates the world, what does he do? We don't have a picture of him kind of molding or working. We have a a picture of him speaking. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. We know from the the, the prophets of the Old Testament, Amos specifically says, surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his his servants, the prophets. And in the epistle to the Hebrews in the New Testament, this letter to uh, Jewish believers in Jesus who were tempted to turn back from Jesus because the persecution was getting too heavy, the author begins the, the letter by saying this, long ago God spoke many times and in many ways, to our ancestors through the prophets. When God wants to work, he speaks. And what's amazing about this scene, this this promise of the birth of John the Baptist come to pass, what's amazing about this is is not just the fact that that God's beginning to speak again, because that is what's happening. The last time God spoke corporately to his people. Now, God, we know, was speaking individually to people. We're going to see this in future chapters, uh, even in, in, in just a couple weeks. But God hadn't spoken corporately to his people, listen, for 400 years. 400 years since God had spoken corporately to his people through the prophet Malachi. And now, with the coming of John the Baptist, God's going to speak to his people Corporately, And Luke, in recording the story for us and, and writing the stuff down through eyewitness accounts, Luke wants us to see, listen, God's word is powerful. In fact, we see God speaking into the lives, through an angel, into the lives of uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah, and, and we see how God's, work, God's word moves powerfully. And so as we unpack this, this is what we want to see. We want to look at three ways God's word impacts us. So, look at verse 57. It says, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. We think it's a great thing. Babies are a great thing. And it's amazing how these neighbors and relatives are coming around to rejoice, because they know the story. They know Elizabeth and Zechariah were godly people who yet had this incredible pain of barrenness until God did this supernatural thing. 
So the entire community joins around, and what happens? Verse 59, it says, And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. In other words, the child's the eighth day, they come in, and everyone's going, Oh, we're so excited. This is such a blessing from God. This little baby has been born. You must call him Zechariah, obviously after his father. But what happens? But his mother, verse 60, answered, No, he shall be called John. No, but she says this, why? Because that's what the angel Gabriel had said. Now, this is interesting, because what we see happening here is the pressure on Elizabeth at this point, especially because Zechariah can't speak, right? And there's even indication he can't hear. That, that during this time, that, that she's feeling this pressure to name him Zechariah, and Zechariah is a great name. The, the name Zechariah means Yahweh has remembered. God has remembered. And that fits, doesn't it? God remembered the prayers of Zechariah and Elizabeth. God heard what they prayed and blessed them with a child in their old age. And it's, as tradition would be, it was after the father, after a close relative. But Elizabeth resists this. Why? Because she knows God said through the angel Gabriel, no, his name's going to be John. She resists that pressure to ignore what God said. What happens? Verse 61. And they said to her, well, none of your relatives is called by this name. And so they made signs to his father. I'm so, it's so nice that this community is so close-knit that they can get in each other's business this much, right? And so they, get, they come to the father, Zechariah, and they motion to him, you know, hey, what do you want to call the baby? And what happens? He asked for a writing tablet, verse 63, and wrote, his name is John, and they all wondered, whoa, what is this? I love this because Zechariah had learned to believe what God said. He had nine months to think about what God said. Nine months of silence, nine months where he couldn't really communicate to think about, could God indeed do this? Nine months as he saw the baby developing in his wife's womb. To say, no, God does what he says. Therefore, if he says the child's name is John, the child's name is John. Now this shows us something about the power of God's word. When God says something, when God says something, listen, that word, that saying, what he says, it transcends any expectation of culture. This is important for us. Because a lot of things that we read in Scripture transcend what this current culture says we should believe. And listen, that has always been the case. There's never been a time in church history, never been a time in the history of the people of God, where what he said wasn't in some way countercultural. Now, some of those, those things that were countercultural, some of the ways they were countercultural 2,000 years ago are different than the way they are now. Some of the ways the scripture is countercultural in Great Britain is different than it would be in, say, the Middle East. But it's always countercultural. It challenges every culture. It goes beyond the expectation of every culture. Which is why we should expect when we read the scripture, some of the stuff's going to go, this is tough. This is hard to accept. This is difficult. This isn't what I wanted to hear. But it's still powerful nonetheless. Do you remember in John chapter 6 this great story when Jesus is speaking to the multitudes? He's fed the 5,000. They've come back for a second free lunch and he's preaching to them. And after preaching to him for a long time, it's a really long chapter, you get towards where he starts saying all these really crazy things to them. Things that are really hard for them to understand. Unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh, you have, you have no 
You do not have life in you? And everyone's like, oh. And people start walking away. They don't want to hear this rabbi from Nazareth speak anymore. They want to listen to Jesus. And Jesus turns to the 12, listen. He turns to the 12 disciples. He says, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter says this. Peter answers, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Lord, where are we going to go? Yeah, this is weird. This is hard. We don't get it. But where else are we going to go? Who else says what you say? You know, I've got to say, at, my, at some of my lowest points as a believer, as a Jesus follower, some of my lowest points in my life, even when I thought, that's it, I don't want this anymore, I don't want to follow God anymore, when I've been in a, such a dark place, you know what comes back? This truth about the grace of God in Christ Jesus. Because, man, that message isn't anywhere else. That is completely countercultural. The world's cool with karma. You do bad, bad happens to you. We all kind of almost operate on that. We're cool with that kind of religious idea. But this idea of grace, that people who rebel against God, he'll save. People that are wretches, he'll change. Yes. This is the power of what God says. It's always, it always transcends the expectations of culture. So let's talk about how we should respond to this. I want you to think about a scripture. You might not be able to do it right now. Maybe one pops in your head, maybe not. But think about a scripture that you find especially difficult. Hard to believe, hard to understand. Think about the scripture. And I want to challenge you. Talk to somebody, a mature believer, a mature Christian, about that scripture. Say, I, I don't get this, or I don't like this. I don't understand why this says what it says. See, you see, it's not until we are willing to face up that the scripture challenges us, confronts us, that we are never quite aligned with what God says, that we actually can be changed in the way God says he will change us. One of the problems we have, uh, folks, as, as believers, those who say, well, I believe in Jesus and I believe that, that what God says in his word is true, one of the problems we have is that we, we know we should take God at his word. And so we're not maybe always upfront and honest about what, what parts of the scripture we find difficult. We need to be upfront and honest. I guarantee you, don't forget, the Bible says about Zechariah, before he was made deaf and, and, uh, and mute, the Bible says he was a righteous man walking with God in all his ways, blameless. He took God at his word, but when this thing came up, God says, here's what I'm going to do. Something that was precedented in Scripture, God doing something supernatural when it comes to birth, giving a barren woman a child. God had done that many times in Scripture. When God says that to him, he says, I don't know. He had a hard time. But the Lord brought it to pass. We should expect God's words to transcend our ex expectations and anybody's expectations. That's the first thing. Let's look at verse 64. The second thing about God's word we're going to see is God's word provokes faith in God's people. So Zechariah obviously believes, he, when he writes, his name shall be John, he obviously believes what God has promised through the angel Gabriel. And it says, verse 64, and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he spoke, blessing God. I love this. Notice the order. Zechariah believes, then he speaks. This is important. It's important because it's, it's no good for us sharing things 
saying things that we don't really believe. You know, that's not me saying that you should just always say everything that you have a hard time with. No, those things you struggle with, find a good, like you said, a Christian person that you can uh, confide in and talk to them about it. But, but let's look at this at the positive. Listen, one of the ways that we know we believe what God says is if we're willing to share it. If we are too afraid to say something, do we really believe it? Now, don't get me wrong. Don't misunderstand me. There are some people, some believers, who need to learn to keep their mouth shut and not say something, even if it's a true something. There's even some people at Servants Church that tend to kind of say things uh, about God to people in a way that maybe is unfruitful or inappropriate. But they're not afraid to say it, for one. And for two, that's not most of our problems. Most of us, we're too chicken. We, we, don't, really, we don't really want to say that God's going to judge all people, including us. We don't really want to say that religion can't save anybody, no matter how sincere it is. We don't really want to say that, and we have to ask ourselves, do I believe it? Zechariah believed this, so even before he could speak, he wrote it down. God said something, I believe it. Zechariah spoke and then uh, believed and then spoke. Listen, Paul says this about his ministry in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith that the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. We know that God who raised the, who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. Do you believe that you're going to be resurrected because Jesus was resurrected? If you believe that, Let's say that. I'm not talking about in some weird religious way. I'm talking about just being honest. You know, the Bible says, be always be ready to give a reason for the hope that's in you with meekness and fear, right? I think it's 1 Peter 3.15. It says that because it's expecting that people are going to ask, why do you still have hope? COVID is horrible. People are dying. The world's falling apart. How can you possibly have hope? Can you say, because I believe in a resurrected Savior and I believe in my own resurrection? COVID can take the people I love or take me, but I will be resurrected. Believe and speak. This is the power of God's word. It provokes faith in us. We think, I believe this. I'm going to say it. I believe this. I have to share it. But what happens, too, with his neighbors, okay? So the, the, the neighbors and relatives, he's all the same people that thought he should be called Zechariah, or Zechariah, that John should be called Zechariah. They hear uh, Zechariah begin to speak. They see that after nine months he can hear, he can speak. And what it says in verse 65, and fear came upon all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea, and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. That's with John. Now this is interesting because Luke wants us to see, listen, Luke wants us to see that with the birth of John the Baptist, with his father being able to speak miraculously after being miraculously kept from speaking for nine months, with this coming out, this had an effect among everyone around them. It spread like crazy. This idea that God is beginning to work, and they know God's beginning to work because God's speaking, becomes infectious. 
It just spreads. And it's interesting to notice that it says they feared, and then it says, it says they feared in verse 65, and then it says in verse 66, that these people who heard them laid them up in their hearts. That is, they're reflecting on these things over and over again. So first they feared, and then they reflected. And this is, again, this order is important. The scripture says, listen, in the book of Proverbs, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. When the Bible speaks of the fear of the Lord, don't think of this like uh, a, a, a fear of judgment, like I'm afraid so I'm going to hide. That's a fear of judgment. The Bible does speak of that kind of fear as well. But the fear of the Lord is not, God's not encouraging us to run and hide from him. Just the opposite. The fear of the Lord is, is more of that reverence. It could include, listen, that you're afraid uh, that, that you're approaching a holy God. But you also know I have no choice but to come to this God who's calling for me. What he says, what he wants, I, I fear, I respect more than anything else. It's basically, listen, it's basically saying God's opinion of me and my circumstances and my world is more important than anybody else's opinion, including my own. That's the fear of the Lord. It starts right there. This is when you're going to be able to reflect on the truth of God is if you fear God. Listen, if you are coming to Servants Church, if you're listening to this stuff online because you find it interesting, you think, oh, that's interesting. I've not heard that before. I find this uh, intellectually stimulating to, to study the scriptures this way. It's not going to have the impact it is because it's got to begin with, listen, a fear of God. Do you recognize there is a God and what he says goes? Listen, that is a terrifying proposition, I know. To know that there's a God who's over all things. It's terrifying until you see this God revealed in Jesus. That is the best news ever. That the God who is sovereign over the universe is that good. The God who is in control of all things has come to this earth and lived in a suffering way with us. Experienced all our suffering. This is great news. That God has compassion and understands us and is making a way for us to be right with him. See, they, they fear. They're like, wow, okay, God's doing something. And then they begin to think about this. Listen, this is something that should be the practice of all believers, reflecting, thinking over and over again, meditating on what God says. The psalmist says this in Psalm chapter 1, believers delight in the law of God, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. This is what we're like, healthy, leafy, fruity, green trees, as our roots are in God through thinking about, meditating on his word. Meditating just means to chew on, to think about over and over again. Don't think like Eastern meditation where you try to kind of empty your mind. This meditation, biblical meditation, is engaging your mind, thinking about chewing on what it is that God says. Let's, let's think about how we can respond to this, okay? We, we've been challenging you. I've been challenging you guys to, to commit to reading a chapter of the New Testament every day. And I want to challenge you in this. As you're continuing this practice of reading a New Testament chapter every day, pick just one verse from the section to chew on. You can chew on that all that, that day or maybe even all that week. Maybe you can write it on a little piece of paper, a post-it or a 3 by 5 card or something, and stick it somewhere, put it in your car, put it, put it, put it you know, on the window where you're going to do washing up, on the bathroom mirror, put it somewhere, and just think, I want to think about that. I want to think about that. I want to chew on that. 
And see if you do that, if you, in reflecting on what God has said, if God won't speak even more. Guys, God is powerful when he speaks. Now, what happens, right? This happens with, with Zechariah, and he, he comes forth and bursts out with prophecy. Now, prophecy is, is complicated. We, we could talk about that uh, for several studies, but let me just kind of give a simple definition for prophecy. This, is an, uh, encompassing, this encompasses all kinds of prophecy, sort of authoritative prophecy, which would be the word of God itself, the scriptures, and, and also directive prophecy, which is what we've seen mainly in the New Testament. But a specific thing would be this. God, a prophecy is a word of God, a word from God through a person that is a specific word for a specific people or people group at a specific time. So when he's speaking here, he's speaking that specific word, the specific word for these people to hear. But also because it's been in, in kept in the scriptures, this is a God's word for all people for all time. Now listen. Here's what he says under, under the, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what he prophesies. Verse 68. In fact, actually, what I want to point out quickly is that what we're seeing him doing here is he's, he's celebrating prophetically. And there's kind of three sections in, in this first bit from 67, verse 67 to verse 75 that I want to point out. We just want to quickly go through. Notice what he's, he's celebrating. Zechariah is celebrating God's, the unfolding of God's plan. And here's what he means by that. Look at verse 67 to 70, or 68 to 70. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old. Uh, horn sounds kind of weird to us, but a horn of salvation, maybe think of a Viking cap with a horn sticking out, right? It's an image of power or might. Okay, that's what it is. And, and, and the psalmists talk about kings having the horns of power to defeat God's enemies, okay? It's just an idea of, of having this power, this almighty power. In other words, God's going to save. This is the, the, God's plan. He will save through a powerful king that will come from David's descendants. You can read 2 Samuel 7, 16 for one of the examples of, of, of the prophecy of that. Verse 71 to 73 says, we should be saved, this is why, that we should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy, the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his covenant, his holy covenant, the, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. So also listen, God's plan has been, God will save according to the promise that he made to Abraham. Again, you can read about this all throughout the book of Genesis, but specifically you can check it out in Genesis chapter 22. God promised Abraham several thousand years ago that he would save a people that he would create from Abraham and Sarah, supernaturally. Another barren couple. And then look at verses 74 and 75. Zechariah goes on to say, to grant us that we, listen, being delivered from the hands of our enemy, might serve him, that serve God, without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. This is important. The fear of the Lord is actually what gets rid of the fear of judgment or the fear of other people. And what Zechariah is prophesying here, what he's celebrating here, is that part of God's unfolding plan is God will save his people and transform his people. 
This is the new covenant that God makes. The New Testament that we're talking about reading. Again, you can read about this in Ezekiel. Now, I want to talk about this reality of transformation more in a minute, but just let me point out a couple of things in verse 75. Notice it says that he, we can serve him in holiness. This talks about our vertical relationship, our relationship with God. That we would recognize, to serve God in holiness means, listen, you recognize my life belongs to God. It's his. I've been created by him and for him. When it talks about in righteousness, this is talking about the horizontal. In other words, because I'm created for God and by God, I want, I want, therefore, I'm going to love like he does. When you think righteousness, don't think acting all religious. Think loving people, laying down your life for other people, uh, esteeming other people better than yourselves. That's righteousness. It gets more specific than that, but that's the general idea. See, Zechariah, he's, he's celebrating God's unfolding plan, but also, listen, he's prophesying or foretelling of his son John's ministry. Look at verse 76. And you, child, John says, will be called, or Zechariah says, will be called the prophet of the Most High. Notice that phrase. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people, and in, in the forgiveness of their sins. So he's called the prophet of the Most High. And we're going to talk more about John's ministry later on. He says, verse 78, Because of the tender mercies of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. Now, in verse 78, he's not talking about what John's going to do, but who John's going to point to. If you remember back from verse 32 of Luke's Gospel, Luke 1, Jesus wasn't called the prophet of the Most High, but the Son of the Most High. So in a very real sense, listen, John's ministry is, I'm going to be, he's the, called to be the prophet, in a sense, the last of the Old Testament prophets who are on high, to point to the Son of the Most High. We'll talk more about this when we get to Luke chapter 3. But I want you guys to notice something. He, he uses this metaphor of, uh, first he talks about that, that uh, uh, he's going to be that, uh, where, where is it, I'm trying to find the phrase. Yeah, there it is. Whereby the, the sunrise shall visit from on high. He talks about early on that he's going to be a descendant of David, or literally uses words that mean to spring forth like a branch from David. And it seems like he's using two kind of metaphors, uh, uh, something springing from a branch and a sunrise. But these metaphors mix. Listen to this. Revelation chapter 22 says this, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. I am both the source of David, and as he's the root of David, and the heir of his throne, I am the bright morning star. Listen. John's ministry is going to be the prophet of the Most High pointing to the Son of the Most High. And then we look at verse 80. It says, And the child grew, this is John, and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. In other words, Luke says, we're going to end it there until we get into his ministry, because he's just growing from this point on. In other words, John is growing into God's plan for his life. Now, what's all this got to do with God's word? Listen, God's word, listen, doesn't just kind of begin his work or cause his work. It actually defines his saving work. What God says, what God has said to his people throughout the centuries is how we know what God is actually doing. We don't have to guess. We don't have to make things up, give new definitions for what salvation is. God said what it is. It's him saving us from our sin. 
Now, this is both an instant reality when we put our faith in Jesus and an ongoing process until we're resurrected with Jesus or by Jesus. It's both those things. And this is really important. Because when we talk about God's saving work, as we, we saw before, when, when Zechariah prophesies about God's saving work and celebrates that, remember he talks about how God will, will, will free us to, to serve him in holiness and righteousness? So when we're talking about God's saving work, listen, this is important. God's saving work is to change us, to transform us. Listen to this, Romans chapter 6. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you, now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see what, what Paul says there in Romans? That eternal life, having this hope of heaven, is not just, well, one day I'll be different. It is I'm being changed until I see him face to face and I'm completely changed. This is what we talk about. This is what the Bible means by salvation. This is when we, when we celebrate at Christmas, unto us a child's been given, a Savior's been born. He's saving us. How does he save us? He saves us by dying on a cross, by raising from the dead, that our sins might be forgiven and that we might be changed. So how do we respond to this? Here's a question. Do you want to be changed? Maybe you're in a place this morning where you can only say, I want to want to be changed. If you have any desire at all to be different, to be what God would have you be, if there's any spark in you that says, I, I want to be what God's made me to be, I want this God, this God and Father of Jesus, I want the God of Scripture to change me. If you want that, be encouraged. That's evidence of God's grace. And if you can say, God, change me, listen, you need to know something. God's going to change you through his word, by his spirit. I, I titled this morning's message, God Unmuted. I wonder, is, does God feel muted in your life? Do you feel like you're not hearing from God? Now, I believe God speaks to us uh, prophetically, I do believe God uh, does speak to us in a still, small voice. We see this with Elijah. I think this is something we do experience as believers. But you want to know for sure that God's speaking to you? Read it. Read it. Ask him, God, speak to me. Show me what this says about you. It says about your son, Jesus. Show, teach me how to trust you, what it means to follow you. You go, but I want to hear God out loud. Read it, read it out loud. You hear God out loud. Guys, God's word is powerful. If you want God to do a work in your life, when God works, he speaks. I pray that as you're hearing this, that you will open your heart and that he would change you. In fact, let's pray to that end. Father, I pray that, Lord, anybody who's heard this message this morning, Lord, would have heard from
from you and that, Lord, they would respond to you in simple faith, Lord. Thank you, Father, that you don't strike us deaf and uh, mute every time we struggle to believe. Lord, that you did that to Zechariah to make a point for all of us to benefit from and to help him and to prepare for this John the baptizer who would prepare for Jesus to come. Lord, your plan is perfect. But God, you're so merciful to us. Lord, today, if we will not harden our hearts, let us hear what you say. Father, we pray that you give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us. And that we put our faith in you, Lord Jesus. That your life was enough. Your death was enough. Your resurrection is enough. Your return will be enough. Save us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming. Thanks for, for watching with us. And uh, if you need any prayer for anything or if you have any questions, you can send us an email or, or uh, send a comment uh, and, and just say, hey, I have this question uh, about what we talked about and we can't wait to uh, celebrate with you guys over the next couple of weeks. God bless.